The reading is taken from Exodus chapter 33, which is on page 92 in the Church Bibles. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of Meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the Tent of Meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, 
I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you, may, you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry at the back. I'm now on this one. Is that okay? Excellent. Well, morning, Emmanuel. It's uh, very good to be here to, uh, to be with you this morning. Um, I, I passed Bart on the way. Uh, we crossed on our, on our bicycles. Uh, uh, Bart is always on his bicycle. He's inspired me to get on my bicycle. Uh, also, last time I came here, I crashed my car on the way. So uh, I thought it'd be safer on the bike, and we, we got here fine. So it's, uh, it's, it's great. Uh, I'm so glad Bart is at uh, Christchurch this morning. Uh, you have a, a wonderful pastor and a brilliant Bible teacher, and so uh, Christchurch will be uh, richly blessed this morning. Um, it is good to be here. I love that new song that you've just sung for the first time. Thank you for uh, that. I've heard it on YouTube, but I've never had a chance to sing it until now I've sung it with God's people, and uh, that was wonderful. Good. Let's pray. Uh, do keep your Bibles open. Exodus 33. Uh, Bard has also blessed me with that really great chapter, the Bible, hasn't he? And Exodus is wonderful. Some chapters are harder than others, but Exodus 33 is one of these wonderful chapters, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the joy and the privilege we have as your people to come uh, into your presence under your word. We pray that your spirit would open our minds and our hearts to hear your voice in the scriptures, uh, that we would be challenged, changed, encouraged, built up, whatever you want to do in our midst uh, by your spirit this morning, by your word. Would you do it for your glory? In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what this morning you feel you need more than anything else. I don't mean a kind of nice cup of coffee, which I'm sure would go down well, but you have to wait for that. Uh, uh, what do you need more than anything else? What is your greatest need? Maybe some, some resolution, some crisis that's going on in your life at the moment. Maybe it's just you wanting peace in the midst of some turbulence of our world or of your life. Maybe it's security in the midst of this cost of living crisis. You're just wondering how you're going to make ends meet. Maybe it's a community that you want in this sort of epidemic of loneliness. You need loving community. Maybe it's a job. You're waiting for a job that will enable you to use your gifts in a satisfying kind of way. Maybe it's comfort in the midst of sadness. There's been a great sadness in your church family uh, over this weekend. It's that sense of comfort that you're 
longing for, or a healing of a broken relationship, perhaps, or the healing of a broken body, uh, perhaps. That what do you need more than anything else? Uh, all of those things that I've, I've sort of listed are, are real, genuine needs and right desires, things that God is interested in, things that he cares about. Maybe some of those things, one of those, two of those things resonate with you right now. Uh, maybe there's other things that you'd, you, you feel you need, that you're longing for. Uh, perhaps you should share that. It's one of the reasons, isn't it, we gather on a Sunday so we can share our lives, our hearts, our longings, our desires, our needs with one another. Pray with one another. Do that later, uh, perhaps. All those things I've mentioned, they're real, genuine needs and longings. But I want to suggest this morning that there is one need greater than any of those. One, in fact, need that subsumes them all. One that is prior to them, uh, and in many ways is the answer to them. And it is, of course, the need for God himself. For God's presence with us in our lives in our church perhaps it's obvious of course it's obvious really but but we can so often miss what is obvious when we look for other things when our greatest need is God's presence and in his amazing grace God chooses to dwell with us he's not some distant far off unknowable deity but he's a God who who comes and makes his presence known with his people And it's Moses who grasps this priority of God's presence so clearly, isn't it, in in, in Exodus 33. Just have a look down, 33, verse 12. Moses says to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. And here's the answer, verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And we know Moses has got it because, verse 15, Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Unless you're present, God, with us, uh, we're not going anywhere. You see, God's people needs God's presence. It's the most precious thing that we can possibly have. And God, in his grace, wants to be present with us. It's the story of the whole Bible, isn't it? God's presence with his people. It begins in Genesis 2. Uh, God walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. He is very present uh, with his people. Uh, then comes the tragedy of Genesis 3. Humanity turns its back on God. God in, his, in disobedience. Uh, God uh, and man are now divided, separated. God's intimate presence is removed from his people as Adam and Eve are thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Because that's not the end. God comes visiting. Uh, First Abraham, uh, then Isaac, then Jacob. God makes his presence known. And then into a people of his own, uh, the nation of Israel, taken into Egypt, uh, a group of about 70, 400 years later, a group of a couple of million uh, there in Egypt. Uh, And as you've seen in the book of Exodus, as you've been through this uh, series, uh, God wants to be with his people. He hears them crying from slavery. He sees what is going on. He he speaks to Moses from a burning bush. He raises up Moses to be a saviour for his people. He brings those people out from slavery. He he, he makes his presence known in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provides for them in the wilderness. Uh, he, He graciously shows them how they should flourish by giving them the Ten Commandments 
uh, the law. Uh, he tells them how he's going to dwell in their midst as he gives detailed instructions for the tabernacle. You know, some people think that the, the, the first 20 chapters of Exodus kind of are the exciting, action-packed chapters. You know, there you've got, you haven't you, you've got the, you've got the um, slavery, you've got miracles, you've got the plagues, you've got escape, you've got parting of seas, you've got uh, all these exciting water from a rock, you've got everything in the first 20 chapters, uh, action-packed and exciting. And then maybe the second 20 chapters of Exodus might seem a bit dull in comparison, you know. I don't dare say that about God's word. Uh, but, you know, there's long, detailed descriptions, aren't there, of how to build a big tent. You know, what colour curtains, how many curtain rings, the exact furniture, who can serve there, uh, what they should be wearing when they serve there, and so on. I mean, it's long and it's detailed description. And then, and then it all happens again. It repeats it again. You know, there's long, in some ways, it doesn't feel as exciting as the first half of Exodus. But in many ways, it's what this book is all about. Because the tabernacle is where God will be present among his people. And this is the key truth from Exodus. They've been set free from slavery, but not set free from slavery as an end in itself. They're set free from slavery to be the people of God in God's presence. For him to dwell with them. Freedom isn't the end in itself. God is the end in himself. There's a great little book by um, John Piper. You may have come across it. It's entitled God is the Gospel. Come across that? It's a great title. It's a reminder that the Gospel, the good news, is ultimately not about receiving salvation, not about enjoying church, or having a peace that passes understanding. The good news of the Gospel is God. God's presence with you. You're in communion, in fellowship, in relationship with God. God is the, the good news, His presence. That leads on to wonderful experiences, wonderful and challenging experiences of of life. But it's simply having that relationship, that presence of God in your life and in our church. Uh, It's what we're designed for. It's the greatest prize. To have God's presence in our lives, in our families, in our homes. When we go to work, when we have our leisure time, wherever it is, having God's presence with us, and especially as we come together as God's people. Is that what you long for? Do you recognize that to be your greatest need, that God's presence? Have you set your heart on experiencing more of his presence in your life? Well, that's what Exodus 33 is about, I think. And there's uh, five brief things we're going to talk, look at in, in, in this. The first is there on the screen, the need for God's presence. We've been talking about that already, but uh, God's people need God's presence, especially because there are people on the move, uh, people on a journey towards the promised land. That's how chapter 33 begins. Just look, look, look down at verse 1. Then the Lord says to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I've promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Uh, they've been on this mountain now for some time, at least 80 days. They've been in the wilderness for, for longer than that. Uh, and, and God wants them to know this is not their home. 
God has promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and in spite of all that's gone on in the previous chapter, that you said that last time, with, with their rebellion against God, the golden calf, their rejection of their God, who, who, who's given them so much, in spite of all that idolatry, God is, remains faithful to his promise. He's going to take them into the promised land, to this beautiful land. Now, they've had these dramatic experiences on Mount Sinai. They'd received the law. They've been in the wilderness for some time. They've had this daily ritual, collecting their manna each day, you remember? And they've been provided for by God. Uh, maybe they started to become a bit comfortable there. I don't know. But, but this mountain isn't their final destination. There are people on the move with a new home, a promised land that lies ahead. And they need God's presence with them. Moses makes clear uh, why they need him. Just uh, look down to verse 15. Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. Because how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? It's God's presence that distinguishes God's people from the world around them. They're not distinct, these people, because they're taller or shorter or more gifted or more numerous or there's any other reason uh, except that they belong to God who has loved them and they have God's presence with them. And friends, that is true of us. It's God's new covenant people. Paul reminds us, doesn't he, that we're a pilgrim people. We're also a people on the move, a people who are heading in a direction tells the Philippians, press on heavenwards to win the prize for which God has called you. So we need to remember that. We're, we're on a move. This is not our home. This world is not our home. Uh, we, we, we don't put our roots down too deep here. We're heading for the promised land, for the Father's house. That's where your dear sister, our dear sister Jean has arrived in the Father's house just this weekend. Uh, she had a pilgrimage. She's been on the move uh, for a hundred years, so I gather. And she's gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, a pilgrim people. That's who we are. We're pressing on. This isn't our home. But we need God's presence for the journey so that we can be a distinctive people, the people who stand out, people who are different to the world. Not because we're bigger or, or better or stronger than anyone else. Uh, but simply because we're people who belong to God and we know his presence uh, with us. And we need God's presence and we dare not set out anywhere without it. That should be our motto every morning. I need God's presence. I am not setting out. I'm, I'm not getting out of my bed, God, unless you're going with me. And that is our, our journey to, towards uh, heaven. But of course, as we read this chapter, we see that it's, it's not quite as simple as that. Because uh, secondly, we, we see uh, the danger of God's presence. God tells them, doesn't he, uh, to get going towards the promised land. But he says, do you see, I'm not going, verse 3. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you, do you, do you like fire? open fires we, we've got a we've got a log burner in the vicarage it is a great treat 
I have to say, it is a great tune. I don't know how long it'll be before they're banned, probably quite soon. But, but I'm going to make the most of it for now. I, and I, I love it. It's, 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 it is, it's wonderful. You get a roaring fire going, the flames are mesmerising, they're dancing around. It's better than most things on the telly. Got the telly is next to it, the, the log burner's there, and it's better than watching the log burner because these flames are just glorious. And then they sort of the, it starts radiating heat into the room. Uh, we had it on Tuesday evening for our home group, and it was a cold night, and it was wonderful. I, I love this log burner; it's, it's fantastic. Uh, a few weeks ago, though, I brought in some um, some logs from outside. They were a bit cold, a bit sort of damp because they'd been out in the store, and um, and I put a couple on top of the log burner just. I just for a few minutes, just to warm them up a bit, ready to, to, to go in once it got going. I thought I'd just, just warm them up. It was already going, and I'd warm them up. Anyway, um, I got a bit distracted and, uh, until my wonderful wife, Debbie, came running down the stairs saying, I, I, can, smell mo- I can smell smoke. What, what's going on? What's going on? And of course, the ones on the top, I got a bit distracted. The ones on the top had s- started smouldering. It's like they were, just, they were just beginning to catch fire, the ones on the top, not the ones in the middle. The ones in the middle were already burning. The ones on the top were... And um, uh, the smoke had started permeating the room and permeating through the house, and Debbie could very sensitive nose. So she's better than a fire, a smoke alarm, actually. Um, and, and, uh, and so I, you know, I quickly managed to get some thick gloves and tongs and got these logs and got them outside, and, 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 um, and the smoke has continued to fill the house for week or two. I think we're just about there now. So I've been in bad books. I've been in the doghouse for quite a while. But I think we're okay now. But you know, I don't know what would have happened if, if Debbie hadn't been there, if I'd let them sit there for, for much longer. Maybe the vicarage had been burned to the ground. Maybe that's a bit dramatic. I don't know. But, but that's what fire does, doesn't it? Fire uncontrolled, fire treated inappropriately, fire treated uh, carelessly, destroys Oh, it's a wonderful thing, fire. It's a wonderful thing that gives us power and light and energy, gives heat. But treat it wrongly, you're in big trouble. So God is holy. It's the clarity of of, uh, the book of Exodus, the whole of the scriptures. He's described, isn't he, by the writer of Hebrews as a consuming fire. And when holy, a holy God encounters a stiff-necked and sinful people, it's a, it's a dangerous combination. Not for God, but it's dangerous for the people. And that's why God says, you go to the land, I'll still give you the land, but I'm not coming. Because they're stiff-necked, they're, they're proud. What does stiff-necked mean? I mean? It doesn't obviously mean quick neck or stiff-necked. It means proud, obstinate, stubborn. It means uh, uh, quickly turning away from God. It's there in chapter 32, if you want need any evidence, but it's there throughout as they, they keep distrusting God and wanting to go back to Egypt and not grumbling because he's not providing. And this is the evidence that there's this complaining people who turn away from the God who's rescued them, who spurns his love so quickly. And so God says, it's too dangerous for you, for me to come with you. And what is the response? Well, it's it's, it's the only right response before a holy God. And that is they humble themselves before him. Moses has told them. He's told Moses to tell them, uh, you know, I I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I'll I'll decide what to do with you. And that's what they've done. They 
taken off their ornaments is a visual symbol of their mourning for their sin. Those things that they were proud of, they represent their worldliness, these ornaments. Maybe they're things that they brought out of Egypt they're still holding on to, that they've got to let go of uh, and lay before God. Uh, There's this attitude of contrition, of confession, of repentance, of recognition of their sin and the holiness of God and their need of him. We need God's presence more than anything else. It's our greatest need, and yet we cannot presume upon his presence. We cannot just breathe into his presence as though it's somehow our natural right as human beings, because he is an awesome, holy, pure, and perfect God. Do you remember when Peter first encounters Jesus? There's an amazing story isn't there, where he sees the miraculous catch of fish. He recognizes he's in a boat with, with someone uh, awesome. And he falls on his knees and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. You know, Peter recognizes his sin. He wonderfully recognizes uh, something of the awesome greatness of Jesus. And Jesus wonderfully says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Uh, The presence of God can be a dangerous thing if we don't humble ourselves before God, if we don't come with a humble contrition towards him. And the people realise that, and they want God with them, but they know they need a mediator. And so we see a third point on the screen uh, going to come up the, the mediation of God's presence because we read next about the, the tent of meeting don't we, do you see that, the tent of meeting it's, it's there for the inquiring about the Lord, it's so that he can be present with the Lord and hear what he's saying and uh, it's outside the camp, it's at a safe distance, Moses would go out, everyone would watch from their tents as Moses went out to this tent of meeting outside of the camp in a safe distance and uh, uh, when the cloud came down as that visual symbol of God's presence uh, with Moses, uh, the people would worship, uh, we read here, and God would speak to Moses as uh, face to face as one speaks with a friend verse 11 Moses represents the people to God. God uh, speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to the people. He mediates God's word to them. Uh, We don't have the exact mechanics of how Moses met with God. It can't literally have been face to face, can it? Because a few verses later, God says, you can't see my face. No one can see my face. Otherwise, you'll, you'll die. But the book of Numbers tells us that he does see some sort of form. So whether God takes on some sort of human form, the angel of the Lord, or pre-incarnate Christ. uh, uh, But Moses does speak like a friend. These verses talk about this intimacy, this friendship. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? The holy God, the infinite, eternal creator, uh, who reveals himself on Mount Sinai in fire and thunder and lightning. Holy God. and, And Moses speaks to him like a friend. I mean, it's an incredible thought. The people of God in the wilderness need a mediator, and Moses is this mediator who enables them to receive God's word. And Moses clearly has this intimate relationship with God, and then, and then we see him get bold, doesn't he? He says uh, he's already asked for the presence of God to go with them. The Lord has already agreed. And then verse 17, he says, uh, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name, says God. And then Moses says, well, now show me your glory. And the Lord responds, verse 19, 
Uh, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. You can have my presence, says God, but, but even for Moses, there are limits of God's presence. This word glory... Uh, as, but you know, it's, it comes from this sort of wor- a word about heaviness and weight. It's what the, uh, the basis of that word glory is. And it's the idea of the glory of the God is the weight of all his attributes, the weight of all his perfections radiating outwards. And Moses can get a glimpse of it, just a glimpse. He can see his goodness. He can hear his name proclaimed. He can understand something of God's character. But... He cannot experience the full presence of the glory of God. Uh, he just gets a glimpse of his back. We'll see that next time when you, when you, when you, you see that. It's enough for Moses. He just gets a glimpse of the back of, the, 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 of God uh, in this experience on the mountain that his face radiates with its reflected glory uh, of God. And he has to cover his face with a veil, as, we, as you'll see, I'm sure you know. Uh, for Moses is, is intimate with God. He's like a friend with God. But even Moses can only catch a tiny glimpse of the glory of God. But of course there was one who saw God face to face. One who mediates God's presence to us. Uh, one who enables us to be in God's presence even now. Uh, to know his presence as we leave here today. Uh, there's one who enables us to know his presence when we go home uh, for lunch, who will enable us to know his presence in the office tomorrow, at work, or at the, at the coffee shop, or at school. The one who enables us to know God's presence uh, wherever we go. And that person, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one to whom Moses points, the one to whom all of the Old Testament points. And so we finish with just briefly with this experience of God's presence. How, how are we? We're not there on the mountain. We're not there in the wilderness. We're not there with, with Moses having to be at a distance as, as we see something, glimpse something of God's glory. Um, no, this is Jesus. Uh, John 14, just, uh, it's on the screen. The, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because Jesus brings God's presence into creation, into the world, in a brand new way, as he takes on human flesh. God physically comes and is present in our midst. And then Jesus enables us stiff-necked, proud, sinful people to come into the presence of this holy, pure and perfect God. He does it, of course, through his death on the cross, as we're going to remember in just a few minutes at communion. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. He becomes the perfect mediator between God and man. And then... Jesus is raised to life on that glorious Easter morning. He returns to heaven and he promises to send his spirit. And the day of Pentecost is that day in which the reality of God's presence comes home in its 
fullest way until now uh, into the life of anyone who repents and believes God comes and makes himself present in our very lives not God's presence in a cloud not God's presence in some tent of meeting not even God's presence as a human being next to a disciple or speaking to crowds but God's presence coming into our very lives God coming to dwell with his people and of course God coming to dwell in a special way when his people gather together here this morning we can experience God's presence through Christ by his spirit when we gather and wherever we go that's an awesome wonderful truth you know that already because you're Christians most of you if you don't know that already you can invite Jesus today into your heart his spirit will come as you say sorry and repent and believe you know that already but we need to keep reminding ourselves that because we're on a journey we're on a long journey it's a journey towards uh, being uh, with Christ face to face becoming like him John says in the new creation Uh, how awesome will that be for all eternity to be in his perfect presence free from sin and suffering Uh, but now we can have that presence on this journey We can speak to God like a friend. The awesome, holy, infinite and eternal, holy, perfect God. Moses spoke like a friend. Well, we can now. Jesus said to his disciples, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Isn't that an amazing thing? Oh, why would we not pray every day, several times a day, uh, with a friend? Uh, And and we can be sure in our challenges and struggles that we face, we can be sure of God's presence. As we seek him, as we open our hearts to him, as we share that with him. Profane this morning, someone reminds us God is near to the brokenhearted. Oh, we can know God's presence at every moment. And as we go from here to, to witness for our faith, to, to live the Christian life, uh, God, you know, Moses says, don't go with us because it's only you who distinguish us from the world around us. Uh, we need this God's spirit to make us holy so that we are different to the world around us. And as we go, remember, we hear the words of Jesus. Uh, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's the promise. To, his presence is with us as we go uh, to make Jesus known, as you go and invite people to the, to the guest service uh, on the 26th. Uh, go because Jesus is with you. Our oh, friends, there are, there are many things, aren't there, that we need. There are many things that we'd like. Uh, but there's one greater than all the others. And that is the very presence of God in our lives. So let's remain humble, conscious of our sin, that we don't deserve to be in God's presence, but always looking to the cross, and then are confident of our forgiveness and wonderfully confident of his presence in our lives so that we can go empowered by the Spirit into this week, whatever it is you face, whatever it is, uh, the opportunities he gives you, uh, go empowered by the Spirit to live for him. And praise God that he is present with us right now. Here and now. Again, we take it for granted sometimes, we drop into church, but God is present. The living God, by his Spirit, is here with us has been because we've sung as we've prayed as we've heard his word in a moment as we gather around the table to be conscious of the very presence of god 
you know, the band are going to come up in a moment. We're going to sing of that presence. Why don't you come up as we, we're going to pray as, as, you, as you come up. Uh, let's, let's be be conscious of the very presence of, of the living God. Um, I'm going to pray first before we sing. But why don't we stand? Let's, let's all stand together for prayer. And then uh, just to remind ourselves of the presence of God. And then we'll go straight into singing. Uh, be still for the presence of the Lord. Let's just remind ourselves. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And so Lord, we stand in your presence conscious Holy Spirit that you are here in our midst we are the temple your temple in which you dwell you're building us as your people that you want to make us distinct and different from the world Lord that you want to empower us to be the people that you would have us be so Lord as we gather today as we're here thank you Holy Spirit that you are in our midst as would you continue as we sing and as we gather around the table Lord would you continue to shape our hearts shape our minds shape our lives reassure us of your presence strengthen us as we head from here to live life for you Oh, we thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace that enables us to be in the very presence of the holy living God. Lord, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.